I'm Teffer. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. This week, we have a special bonus interview with Natalie Blitt. Natalie is here with us in studio in Montreal, which is really exciting. We don't get this chance often. So thanks so much for joining us, Natalie. It's so my pleasure. Um, Natalie Blitt is the author of The Distance from A to Z, Carols and Crushes, Snow One Like You, and most recently, The Truth About Leaving, which came out in early 2019. She is from Canada. She studied at McGill University, just like me in English, and now lives in the Chicago area. So thanks for joining us. It's totally my pleasure. It just made me realize that I should update my website because I have one more book out. Oh! Um, (laughs) Totally my bad. Coco Crush actually just came out. It's a new Scholastic book, so um, it just came out this month. That's exciting. Coco Crush, like uh, like with an A at the end or without an A at the end? Uh, With an A at the end. All about hot chocolate. Um, I have a crush on hot cocoa, so... uh, You'll like this one, I think. I'm excited. And there's hockey in it. Okay. Where, where, which part of Canada did you grow up in? So I kind of feel like I grew up all over Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, I was born in Ottawa. I spent most of my childhood um, in Toronto and going back and forth between Toronto and Ottawa. Um, my grandparents lived in Calgary, so we would go out there a lot. Um, and then I went to McGill, um, and then I did um, my um, graduate work actually in Halifax. Oh, so nice. I feel like okay. I've got the... Almost coast to coast. A well-traveled citizen of Canada. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I was curious because in your bio it just says Canada. So you write YA and middle grade books. Yes. Is Coco Crush, would you say, is that more YA or more middle grade? It's I, totally middle grade. It's, totally it's middle like grade. my cool. other Scholastic. Yeah. It's part of the Wish series. Nice. That's exciting. That's cool. Um, a question we ask everybody who comes on here is why YA? What draws you to it? I mean, how can anyone write anything but YA? Um, so... For me, the most interesting part about writing is um, about writing characters is that is characters who are stretched between two different worlds. So um, in YA, I'm really interested in that like upper YA range where you're both a teenager who wants to be an adult and an adult who wants to be a teenager. And you're like literally like for me, it's like a very physical feeling of being like pulled in each direction. And sometimes you want to like cut all ties and make all your own decisions. And sometimes you're like, oh my God, I need, you know, I'm not ready for this. Um, And I love kind of that stretch moment. It's almost like um, with the, um, uh, the caterpillar, like you coming out of the shell, but still like stuck with all that gooey stuff, whatever it's called. I don't remember my stages of caterpillar growth. Um, But that's kind of like, and so even when I write middle grade, I actually also write about that upper end when you're being pulled. um, So all my middle grade books have um, protagonists who um, are kind of in those early stages of being interested in somebody else. And on the one hand, like being excited by that. And on the other hand, being like, oh, my God, I don't want that. That's too much. That's too scary. My friends are doing this. My friends are not doing this. Like, so that's always a part of like that stretch for me. Well, I think that's something that comes up a lot when we talk about YA with authors and also with each other of just like what's I think why a lot of adults read YA because mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people we talk to are adults who who are still reading YA because it's fun and I think it's really relatable to get to that kind of like that tension exactly I, it's a lo- it's better than adult fiction in a lot of ways because um, it's more relatable I think because we can all like look back at our YA years uh, teenage years and 
think about who we were and think about the things that we were really um, struggling with and the emotions that we had. Whereas adult literature is, I find it so heavy. Mm. Um, I just picked up a book recently and I don't even remember what the title was. And it was about like these sisters. And I was like, oh, I like sisters books. And like immediately one of them was going through divorce. The other one had infidelity. The other, And I was just like, I, I don't want to talk about mortgages. Like, I don't want to read about that. I want to read about a, like a time that that stuff is not the stuff that we have to worry about. It's like an escapism, but still with the like emotional impact and clout. Yes. Almost. Yeah. 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 How did you um, get into it? Like, what was the process of writing your first uh, book for kids? So actually, when I talk yeah. to groups about it, I always um, I do a whole thing on um, failure because I think that like failure um, is the most is like the theme of everything. Um, I always wanted to be a writer and as a result I never wrote um, because I was terrified that it would turn out that I was actually no good at it and I didn't want anyone to know that. Um, and so I was a huge voracious reader and for me stories were like that's how I learned about the world. Um, so I finally made the decision um, actually in November of 2011 that I was going to write a book um, and so I needed a way to do it that was going to hold me accountable because I knew what was going to happen is I could commit to writing a book um, for like day one, day two, maybe even a little bit of day three. And by day four, it'd be like, whatever, this is too hard. This isn't going well. It turns out I can't write. This is awful. Um, so I decided to do NaNoWriMo, um, which is the National Novel Writing Month every November. And um and I made the um, questionable decision, um, but it was the right decision for me, of telling everybody I knew that I was doing it because um, I hate the idea of failing and I'm exceptionally competitive. And so NaNoWriMo was like perfect for me with everybody knowing because I told them, ask me what my word count is every day. Ask me um, how I'm doing, you know. And I knew I was going to be accountable to people because there's no chance that I was going to tell people that, you know, well, I kind of quit after day three. And that's how I actually, The Truth About Leaving, which is the book that came out in March, the young adult novel, was the first book I wrote. I wrote it in the month of November. Um, it was um, precious and wonderful, and it bears no resemblance to the book right now. <laughs> um, it um, And it took, and it was actually like, it's, you know, my fourth book published. Um, it took other books coming out, and it was actually the book that I originally got my agent for, um, I've been on sub for it for I like on submission for it for a long time, um, but it took a really long time. Um, but that's what kind of got me into that into that zone. And once I knew that I could actually write a whole story, um, and that I could live through the critique of that story when other people read it, um, that's what like after that I couldn't stop. And so you know when I talk about failure. I often say that like if I had any idea how many times I would get rejected and every writer is like this that the, the rejection is part of it there's a great quote that's um, writers who are afraid of failure are like um, boxers who are afraid of getting punched it's like it's a <laughs> part of everything that we do um, and even now that like I have five books out I still I mean failure and I are so awesome together I have I have had books rejected at every stage of the process um, and 
And if I had known then what I know now, there's no chance I ever would have even sat down and spent any time in front of that computer. But luckily I didn't. <laughs> and and for those of you listening who are dreaming of writing your own book, um, just think about me. Think about the most Frady Cat person you've ever met, the person who most doesn't want to lose and doesn't want anyone to know um, that I'm failing and everything. And I have five books published I have many more manuscripts than that. I have had um, books that I love, you know, get an editor who is passionate about it, who brings it to acquisitions, and it doesn't get through. Um, and so, yeah, so that's um, that's kind of the story of it. Yeah, I, I love hearing you say this uh, because I, you know, have known about NaNoWriMo for probably more than a decade mm-hmm. and every year I'm like I should do NaNoWriMo this year and then I'm just like I don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I can write and edit to perfection this many words per day and right. that's the, the issue is the edit to perfection isn't part of the writing process right. and so that's actually the most <laughs> important thing about NaNoWriMo is you don't have time yeah. like unless you're taking the month <laughs> off and you're writing all day every day like you don't have time to be editing anything. You don't lose a single word. Even words that you like, you're like, oh, that sentence isn't going to work. You just push it down in the document because you're not leaving those words on the side. Yeah. Um, not for the word count. So it's a really good way of just like learning to like dump onto the page as long as you don't become one of those people who queries agents in the month of December. <laughs> because there's nobody who, except for people who, who love you who should be seeing that manuscript in December. Yeah. Yeah, I um I started grad school this uh this fall and I can't remember which class this was in, but one of my instructors said at the beginning it must have been in the writing class I'm taking that makes the most sense that that one of the most important steps is to separate the creation from the editing process yeah. and, and you know creation is a different thing I know for me that's been kind of a revelation this year of like oh yeah you just push it out right. <laughs> and then you edit but that's so fun to like I love it I think I think we've had one other author who had a NaNoWriMo manuscript that became a book and that's it's always so exciting to hear those success stories you know well even actually um, NaNoWriMo works so well for me that um, I couldn't do it the following year because actually I was giving birth and I still even actually thought about doing it um, and I was like I can give birth and you know do NaNoWriMo at the same time um, which the answer is no no you can't um, I mean maybe you can I can't um, but by February, I was like jonesing to write a book and I needed, and I knew that I needed, um, I needed a NaNoWriMo. And of course in February, there's no NaNoWriMo. And in fact, it's like, it's the shortest month. So really you need all, but I got together a group of writers that I knew, um, that I knew who loved NaNoWriMo and we created um, Febno. um, (laughs) And we, a lot of us wrote books and that um, The Distance from A to Z, which was my first YA book that actually came out, that was created during Febno also. So yeah. Yeah. So what you really need is just to Make yourself write every day, huh? <laughs> well, I've learned that like yeah. what works for some years yeah. doesn't always work for others. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. I want to give you time to talk about your your most recent books because we're you know excited about those. But um, I know you've written about uh, you've written a series of holiday books, and I'd love to hear a little bit about just like 
what that's like to be writing holiday books and like how you ended up doing it. So it's actually a really funny story. So I've only had one that's really like a clear Carols and Crushes, um, which is with Scholastic. It's a story of a girl who um, who dreams of being like the lead in the Christmas concert at her school or the holiday concert. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those holiday concerts that's really a Christmas concert. And, um, and all she can think about is wanting that. And so... Um, and of course, that obviously is not going to be what's happened. And in fact, it what winds up happening is much, much uh, an entirely different story um, when it looks like the Christmas cancel. Not only does she not get the lead, but it looks like the concert is going to be canceled. Um, but my editor at Scholastic, um, who I adore um, to no end, um, brought me the idea of the book. And she... She said, like, this is what we're thinking about. And I looked at her and I'm like, you know that, like, I'm really Jewish. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, like, really Jewish. And she's like, and I knew that she was, like, really Jewish. So here you have, like, two really Jewish girls, like, trying to figure out this. So um, it was actually right as I was writing the book right as um, I was preparing for my oldest son's bar mitzvah. So... I'm like listening to Pentatonic. I don't know anything really about Christmas carols, but like I'm, you know, I'm like desperately trying to figure out. And like I had in my mind that like this Christmas carol that I, so there's a couple. So you'll see like if you ever read the book that like uh, the little drummer girl is in there because that was always a big favorite, especially like being Canadian. And because um, I have like the Nana Muscari like um, version in my head. But um I had this idea that at the end of the book, there was going to be this solo between um, this girl and um, and another of the boys that is part of the concert. And I figured that they would sing Baby It's Cold Outside to each other. And so anyways, I wrote the book and um, the book is actually, it's really not about Christmas as at all. It's a very diverse book. There's actually some great like latka things and they go... I mean, it's a it's a really fun book um, and with fun characters and this like kind of budding romance between these this boy that she doesn't want to like and she kind of does like him and all that stuff. Um, but the funniest part of it is like we go through edits, like we work really hard on it. We go through copy edits. We're like literally at like the last possible stage, and the proofreader says. Um, you know that baby it's cold outside is kind of rapey and both Amy and I were like what and we're like oh my god (laughs) and like this is what happens when you have two like super chewy girls like trying to write a Christmas book so um so we wound I don't even remember what we changed it to but um but then I did all this research and this was also like by the way in 2016 so it wasn't like that all the articles hadn't come out yet about how rapey it was but um and I'm not sure it's entirely rapey now that I've read about it so we can talk about that but um yeah so it was um it was fun and in fact all my scholastic books are winter books I kind of have the like kissing middle grade wish series winter stuff um which is really fun because it allows me to like delve back into my canadian childhood so um in snow unlike you there's beaver tails in it uh, which is um just like one of my favorite things and in coco crush there's hockey and skating and the zamboni and so yeah so they're all in that kind of wintry feel um holidays time 
I think I know some of what I'm going to read as I prepare for Yay. the holiday season. I love Christmas, uh-huh. um, and I love Christmas music and hot chocolate. I'm very excited for that. Do you want to tell us a little bit? I mean, you've told us about sort of the the inception of the most recent book, named just just uh, the truth uh, about the leaving. truth about leaving. I'm so sorry. It's totally fine. <laughs> I had that in my notes. I most of the time don't remember um, my name, so. <laughs> But do you want to um, tell us any more about it? Um, sure. Yeah. It's um, it's a story about a girl who really thinks she knows where she's going in life, mm-hmm. right? She's in her final year of high school um, in a very small private school, um, very loosely based on my um, growing up at the Toronto French School. Shout out. Um, and... So it's a small school. It's the same 60 kids who have always been in the same grade. She's like right at the end. And the book begins actually with her breaking up with her, her boyfriend breaking up with her. And her boyfriend has gone off to college. And she really thinks that she's, she's, they're going to like make it work for this year. And then she's going to join him. And they're, you know, their parents were friends. Their grandparents were friends. Like this is all perfect. Um, And he turns out to just like, just be a crappy person so um she's like reeling at the beginning of the book and um and it's about this boy that she meets on the first day she literally runs into him um and um and his and the way that the two of them kind of influence each other and change each other um because he also thinks he knows exactly where he's going he's actually israeli he is in his last year of high school and um, according to all the rules and regulations, he shouldn't be able to actually leave Israel like that. But his um, family has recently um, had a tragedy. His older brother, um, this is all at the beginning, his yeah. older brother has been killed in a car accident and he is kind of unwinding. Um, and so his parents bring him to Chicago to like, you know, get away from everything and all the bad influences. And it's really about how the two of them are trying desperately to stick to the script that they have in their minds um, and how they really can't once they meet each other and once they allow themselves to open up. Um, And there's poetry in there. um, And there's, um, it's just like, it's got, I mean, I I love the swoony moments. So the swoony moments are like my, um, my favorite. But it's like a lot of that kind of like, Um, They have them in a class, they take an English class together. And so a lot of what they wind up doing at the beginning, because he really won't talk to anybody. He's like, I don't have any interest in making friends. I'm not here. Um, And so the teacher, um, Mrs. Schneider, um, puts them, who is my English teacher, um, who puts the, she puts them um, as partners. And they have this assignment, the whole class, um, because it's a senior level English class, where they have to bring a poem in. Um, each week and then the other person has to bring a poem that responds to that poem so um, and then they continue like that so they're able to kind of actually talk to each other through this poetry and there's no um, there's no requirement that it has to be a serious poem so for instance um, she at one time brings in um, um, the Emily Dickinson poem Hope is the Thing with Feathers yeah. and um, because she's trying to communicate to him like this like feeling of um, of hope and and he brings in um, a poem that I had actually as in my like childhood poetry reader called um, Colonel Fazakerly Butterworth Toast um, do you know that poem? I know that oh poem oh my god I love <laughs> that poem um, I memorized it when I was a kid and so like um, and she's like 
I don't understand what the connection is. And he's like, hope is an illusion. Um, <laughs> so like, and, and they wind up actually getting into arguments um, through these poetry things because um, he at one point in time actually brings in um, Flanders Fields and Flanders Fields and um, which is obviously novel to my um, American um, surrounding. Um, but he brings in the poem as a way of kind of talking about this idea of like, what happens if I go into the army after this and, um, I don't come back, which is kind of an idea that he's been playing with that maybe it's, it should have been him and not his brother and all this stuff. Um, and she brings out the W.H. Auden poem, um, um, The Unknown Citizen. Mm-hmm. And he's furious. Like, how can you compare what it's like to be an unknown soldier to like an unknown citizen? Okay, so you don't know about him. Like, who cares? And he like flies off the handle and like runs out of class. Um, and so like, but he he does, he keeps coming back with new poems for her. Um, and sometimes he just tries to like slap things down. But sometimes he like comes with like really deep emotional poetry that like, Anyways, there are small parts in the book, um, but it's kind of the way that they are able to open up to each other. What an amazing assignment. I know. Everyone I know is like, wait, where can I go get that assignment? I want to be, it makes me want to be an English teacher so I can assign it. Exactly. It was totally, um, totally made up. Um, The other thing that's weird about the book or that's funny is that my, um, one of the big characters, so one of the, the conflicts that's going on for Lucy is that her mom has just gotten a job in California as a professor and they were supposed to move the family out there and Lucy really put her foot down and said no you know we're um, staying in Chicago Um, you can't move me in my final year of high school and so she and her dad and her little brothers are staying in Chicago and she's spending a lot of her time taking care of her brothers and being like the responsible one and it's getting to be um, too much um, but she has this grandmother who kind of like flits in and out of the story but she's like everything that you dream about about being like a cool grandma um, and her name is Amy and um, Amy's partner is Megan um, and so the um, the number one request I actually get from this book like from everyone is like can you write a book about just Amy and Megan like can that be like the spinoff I'm like I don't think two old grandmothers are going to make a young adult I don't really know how to do that you write their origin story well yes um, <laughs> yes and it's interesting like it's very clear like it's never talked yeah. about necessarily in the book but it's clear mm-hmm. that um you know a- Amy was certainly married to like um Lucy's grandfather and she talks about him very lovingly and and she and Megan also have um and the funny thing for me is that um I often put in names of friends um in my stories more to keep myself company as I'm going through them and so I didn't really think about it, but Amy and Megan um, are my critique partners okay. um, and they've been my critique partners forever. And so I just thought it'd be fun. Like I'm putting Amy and Megan and now there are a couple in my book. And so everyone is always talking about it, like, Amy and Megan, Amy and Megan. And I'm like, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> that's really fun. Yeah. That's that's an instance on the show we call that casual queers casually existing. Uh, and yes. we really like it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So that's even more exciting. That's another mm-hmm. reason to, mm-hmm. to put Natalie Blit on your bookshelf. This is this is so nice because like we've just we've been doing themed months now and we've kind of just ended up doing a lot of heavy content recently or like doing old faves and realizing they're problematic and then having to be like, eh, I love this book, but uh, mm. don't know if I would give it to my kid to read. Oh, <laughs> um, I've definitely gone through that. <laughs> and there's something so nice now about like talking about your books 
and remembering that like what brought me here in the first place what led us to have this podcast that's about young adult lit where we're a bunch of people who are in our like 30s for the most part and we talk about teenager books is that 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 feeling of the teenage crush Mm. reading the book about the teenage crush and that that moment of tension that moment of transition when kind of everything's so important and then when you're 10 20 years on and you're looking back on that it's kind of like wow I had so few responsibilities like I had I had so little responsibility there was not very much I had to do but I felt so much more stressed about the the decisions I had to make even though those decisions were like am I going to date this person who I am literally not going to remember their last name in six months um yes (laughs) but it like it's all so important and there's that that freshness and also that kind of cozy familiarity you know as you were describing the setup for the book I was remembering some of my favorite YA romances from when I was a teenager and just getting I don't know it's bringing me back to basics you know I think um I think about it a lot like crushes are like a big like that feeling of um when do you like falling in love and that and the terrifying amazingness of it but So here's my very unpopular opinion as an adult who um, who reads YA. Um, I know that everyone hates love triangles, um, but actually, oh, you don't love triangles. Love love triangles. Um, So um, I have a close friend who um, who always says they're so unrealistic. I mean, seriously, what girl has two boys fighting over her? So first of all, I mean, okay, I've never had that, but like it could happen. But for me, it's much more about like what do you're making choices between um, two different types of relationships often, and um, and you can't usually in a young adult novel have two relationships in the novel. Like you can't date somebody and then break up and then mourn it and then start dating someone else, like in real life in a book, because that's not how characters work and stuff, um, or that's not our assumption about characters when we're reading. Um, and so for me, when I have when I have two male characters or two versions of a partner, even um, never mind boyfriend, but um, it's a lot about like what what this type of relationship looks like versus what that type of relationship looks like. So what's interesting about the truth about leaving is actually that the ex boyfriend who breaks up with her on you know page one, actually before page one even starts, like she's sitting on her porch after he's left. Um, used to actually go pretty much like through a third of the book um, when she was in this relationship with Scott. And um, an editor, um, not even the editor who wound up buying the book, but a different editor, um, you know, basically said like, you know, we know that Scott's not the good boyfriend and we know that Dove is going to be the bo- boyfriend. And so like it, we, it makes us not like Lucy to see her like putting up with Scott's stuff. Um and it's really sad to me because I understand that, like, and you do things in books that you have to do. But to me, like, the idea, I'm like a master at bad relationships, especially bad teenage relationships, personally. So there is a there's a part of me that really wants to be able to um, show what 
a bad relationship looks like. Not like the bad relationship that you see that's like so extreme, but like the bad relationship that's just like insidious and that and that you kind of think like, but I've been with him forever and he really loves me and I love him. And like, I don't I don't want this to end. And I there's so much that I love about that. And what if nobody ever wants me again, which is of course not going to happen, but like it's so scary. Um, and so you put up with things like, oh my God, how many... I'm sorry for all the ex-boyfriends who are listening to this right now. How many terrible, terrible relationships did I put up with? Um, and it's sad for me that I can't, that I couldn't show that. Um, and like when things exploded with Scott um, in Lucy's life, um, it, it was really important. Um, but yeah. I rejoice when I see that kind of relationship depicted in, in YA Lit especially because, of course, I know a lot of adult women who put up with relationships like mm-hmm. that because it's like, you know, we got together when I was 25 and now I'm 35 and I don't really know if I can start over or whatever. Um, but the really scary thing for me was when I saw like a teenager I know doing the same thing yeah. at 16 and I was just like, baby like you have so much time you like and and just kind of thinking about like that's really how that's that's what prepares you to be the adult putting up with it is is that and I think I had never noticed that it started so early that like girls are taught from puberty and earlier to put up with shit from men (laughs) Um, and so I get so excited when I read books that that aren't the extreme worst relationship, but that are just that kind of picking away at yourself yeah. until you don't have enough of yourself to, like, leave. There's such a huge um, um, feeling of, like, wanting to be in a relationship as a teenager and wanting, um, at least in my experience, and wanting um, wanting that closeness. I always say that, like, I mean, it's a huge overgeneralization, but that girls trade sex for love. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that you're willing to do to get that love and to hold on to that love um, or to hold on to love in general. Um, and it's not about having bad parents and it's not about, you know, not having good friends. It's about that like really intensely special thing that happens when somebody chooses you over everyone else. Um and when that person happens to be an asshole, it's hard to still give it up. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's really important. Um, and this is actually um, really important in terms of sex also to like depict what um, good physical relationships look like and what problematic physical relationships look like. Yeah. Because I don't, um, I, I mean, I read a lot of romance novels and I love them, but they're not um, they're um, they're not what I use to um, think about relationships in that way. They're amazing, and it's like literally ninety percent of what I read. Yeah. But um, but I don't want readers um, I don't want readers to read YA books, especially um, young readers, um, to read them and to think that that's what um that sex is either about getting pregnant and you're stuck now or (laughs) about being um about being sexually assaulted or um about this like wonderful moment with stars and balloons and you know rainbow fairy dust coming out of a unicorn's ass like none of that stuff is real um and the reality is much more important i think
Do you do you have any insight into what the reality is, or do we have to buy your books to find that out? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um, it's interesting. I um, um, I don't want to give away anything in the book, but that's fine. We can no, we can but, say yeah. no. I one of the um, I wrote a manuscript, um, which I really hope one day gets published, um, called um, this. Um, the art of falling and it's about this girl who has been in love with her best friend forever um her male best friend and he is not returning that affection they're like amazing together they like sleep in the same bed but nothing ever happens and um she winds up hooking up with this guy who um who's like on the edge who's like a nice guy at his core but who's really like um he's very close to falling off that edge and he's going to pull her down with him. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but he, he chooses her and he's, and so she goes along with it. And so this best friend um, keeps kind of watching this and all this stuff. And the moment that, that the two of them have sex um, for the first time, it becomes this, um, I think it's like one of, I, I mean, I wish I could just like post it on my website or something like here, it just come, comes out of nowhere. Like here's a sex scene you know, for young adults. Um, but it's, um, they wind up doing it um, with no pre-thought. Um, it kind of comes out of nowhere and it starts with him saying, I love you. And and he's not being manipulative. He's not being an asshole, He but he is being manipulative. He yeah. just doesn't realize it yeah. necessarily. Um, and And it's really about like, she she's not ready but yet she wants to keep this relationship he's never said anything like i'll dump you if you don't sleep with me but like she just she allows it to happen and it's from her point of view obviously and she's kind of um dissociating while it's happening and she's kind of like lingering above and it's very um it's described in very like um like short sentences um and then this, and then this, and then this. And um, there's something so incredibly sad about it. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. Like, there's no, it's, this is, you know, she said yes. Um, she is, you know, she had, he would have, he would have stopped if she said no. It's very clear in the book. Um, but there's something about that that I think is really important, that feeling of like, um, and then she tries to like tell she has this like friend who's older who's like her old babysitter that she's really close with and she tries to like oh guess like this is what happened and her babysitter's like what what did you just do? and she's like you don't understand um, and she's trying so desperately to keep to keep this relationship together um, yeah yeah oh, now I want to go back to that manuscript. somebody pick that up yeah, yeah exactly. sure. I want to read it <laughs> I want it to get published <laughs> me too yeah. I um I really I, I like what I'm hearing here because one of the things we end up talking about a lot is about uh, distinguishing healthy relationships from unhealthy relationships um, because I think it's we also talk a little bit about whether YA has a higher standard of ethics than writing adult literature mm. and if YA authors are bound by ethical constraints in what they write oh, which is so many feelings I mean that. such <laughs> yes get, also <laughs> we talk about it a lot because it's very complicated and yes. you fall into the censorship pit really easily if you start talking about it um, but I, I do think that you know one thing that's become very clear in the last few years is that teaching consent and teaching good 
sexual practices and good sexual ethics starts I mean from birth like it starts teaching kids that their bodies are their own at the very beginning but that teenage years are a really influential time for that obviously because that's usually when you're starting to discover that you have sexuality and um we end up talking a lot about where did I go we end up talking a lot about what makes a relationship healthy what makes a relationship unhealthy and um I think one of the things that gets overlooked a lot is exactly what you've been saying that that the way an abuser or just a like not great person who's maybe not quite abusive but doesn't quite treat you well can get you is by saying I choose you and you're special Mm -hmm. but those are also the things that make like romance so romantic Mm -hmm. and it's about kind of discerning whether that's real and whether that's backed up or whether Mm -hmm. it's like just said as the hook to kind of pull you back I mean in Um, the case of that um Chris is just a messed up character mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he he's a good guy who behaves badly because he is so he needs so much um, and so she just wants to help him um, which obviously like don't have sex to help somebody else but um, or stay in a relationship or anything like that but I think you know as a society we put so much of a push on relationships and every tv show and everything like that um and so it's hard to 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 walk away from something um i remember actually the first person i dated was i was 14 um and he was older um but he was like a very immature like we were there was nothing um and i actually broke up with him um because i it just wasn't working um but it was like he was like it, it was totally fine. It was not, there was nothing bad about it at all. Um, but I remember that I was terrified that um, he gave me a necklace, actually. He gave me a, a necklace with a gold charm on it. And I was, and I gave it back to him because it was his. Um, and I was terrified that nobody would ever like choose me like that again um, because it was the first time it had happened. So, like, what are the odds that it was going to happen again? Um, which, even though I knew intellectually, um, and that night I had a dream that, and all I remember from the dream is that there was a jewelry box and I opened the jewelry box and it was filled with charms and it was filled with necklaces. And it was like this amazing like gift from above of like, you know, there's going to be other ones in here. Yeah. Um, and it's so hard to remember that yeah. when you're in a relationship. Yeah. And um, yeah, and it's interesting, like the, what you said about consent, about starting early. I actually think it's so, and I think that this is, um, I feel very strongly about my responsibilities as a young adult author yeah. um, and my responsibilities to my readers. Um, and I think that um, demonstrating what healthy relationships look like, like I learned everything I know from reading books as a child, right? Like everything um, I, you know, I knew, you know, it's interesting, like my family is all, I'm first generation Canadian. My family moved after the war, you know, I, um, and yet I have this deep, deep um, connection to like Ontario and to, and to Canada um, because I read all these loyalist adventure stories and they became part of like my insides. Um, but I think that that's, those characters, um, those are the people, they were more real to me than than most other people who I was too scared to ask real questions of and had to pretend to be, you know, not in, like, I don't know, whatever. Um, and it's really important to me as an author um, to to make to 
make clear what aspirational um, relationships, what relationships should aspire to, what's, what sex should look like, um, and what sex does look like, and what relationships do look like. Um, because I want people to recognize, I don't want to have a standard that's so high that people are like, well, no relationship is really, like, who, which 16-year-old is really, you know, I want I, I want people to see that subtle difference between um, a partner who um, who wants you to be the best version of yourself um, and a partner who needs you to do something, um, who needs you to fill them. Um, um, and same for same for um, the female protagonist in terms of that person in a relationship. Like your 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 partner can't fill you. Your partner can't complete you. You know, Jerry Maguire aside. Um, because you need to complete yourself. Um, anyways, that's a big rant yeah. on that. But. No, that's great. Because that's exactly it. That's also how I feel. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a theme we come back to a lot. Cool. Um, Natalie, Blit, thank you so much for joining us uh, or joining me. <laughs> it's great to have you. It's always really fun when somebody can actually be here in the flesh. I usually do these over the phone and it's... Uh, this is so fun. much fun for me. So yeah. thank you so much for yeah. inviting me. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at on Twitter at Yeah Podcast. Individually, I'm at Teffer Bear. Are you on Twitter? I am. Natalie Blit. At Natalie Blit. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great book perks. You can get all kinds of great books also, but not on Patreon, uh, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shoutout to our patrons, Erica Stuchbury, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Matt Dever, Catherine Resch. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, and by sharing this episode with a friend, maybe somebody who is Canadian or is in a bad relationship and needs to know that they are. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tefer Ajemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni, or possibly also me, Tefer Ajemian, as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Hey, I'm Aaron Lakoff, host of Changing on the Fly, a brand new podcast on the Outford Network. Changing on the Fly is a podcast that dives deep into the intersections between hockey and social justice. We take on issues of sexism, racism, and homophobia on the ice. You'll hear from athletes, activists, fans, scholars, and even musicians who love hockey but want to keep the jerks out of the game. Think Colin Kaepernick or Serena Williams, but with skates and less teeth. It's your perfect antidote to Don Cherry and Coach's Corner. Hey Don, what do you think of changing on the fly? Not the left-wing pinkle media, bleeding hearts guys. What are you, nuts? Anyways, you can find Changing on the Fly wherever you get your podcasts, or visit us online at changingontheflypodcast.wordpress.com. We need to record a new ad for Up for Discussion. What should we tell people? Tell them we're an emotionally honest comedy podcast. Great! 
What does that mean? It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and try to become better people along the way. And we make poop jokes. So many poop jokes. With tons of awesome guests like Hank Green, Carrie Poppy, and Cecil Baldwin. Yeah, and poop jokes. The Up For Discussion podcast, available on the Up For Network and wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah.